what? We finally got the 2024 Messy Reformation Conference on the schedule. Block off your calendars for April 15th through the 17th, 2024. The theme for our first ever conference is Courageous Leadership, with a particular emphasis on what courageous leadership looks like in times of Reformation. In our current Reformation, the CRC needs leaders who are willing to stand firm in their convictions and lead their churches, classes, and denomination with courage and boldness. We've designed this conference to help equip, encourage, and paint a vision for what that courageous leadership will look like wherever God leads us. To find out more about this conference, or to get signed up right away, head on over to themessyreformation.com. Don't wait to get signed up. We need people to get signed up as soon as possible to get a handle on how many people are coming and what to expect, so don't wait. And don't miss this opportunity to equip yourself connect with fellow leaders, and be part of this messy reformation in the CRCNA. As you know, whenever reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy and courageous leaders are needed. That's why we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church, find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment to click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for this podcast so that the algorithms push our content further into the world that needs to hear what we're saying. You are the marketing plan, and we believe we've placed our marketing in good hands. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Seth Atzma. Yeah, I saw a quote uh, this week by G.K. Chesterton, and I don't remember where I saw it, but he had said, I'm very, w-, something like this. This is my my translation. So, I'm very weary of the reformer who removes a road barrier and says, I have no understanding of why this is here. He said, no, understand why the barrier is there before you attempt to remove it. Yep. And uh, that's one of the things that I think is really important for us um, as we start talking about the future of the CRC and restructures and all of that. Um I think we need to be careful. And, you know, I've been chairing uh, our classes renewal team for the last like three years here in classes, Wisconsin. And, uh, and one of the biggest things we realized uh, that needs to happen for us to have a renewed classes is for us to actually just function according to our rules of procedure. (laughs) (laughs) That, that all the, that a bunch of people were saying, Oh, we need to do this and we need to do this and we're not doing that. And we start reading through our rules of procedure and say, we're supposed to be just, we're, we haven't been doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's what we're seeing throughout the Christian Reformed Church too, right? So Synod 2023 instructed all classes uh, to bring airing office bearers into alignment with our, uh, you know, uh, understanding of human sexuality. And they said, um, use the church visitors to do that. And now as that has been told to different classes to do that, a bunch of classes have said, Oh, we don't have church visitors. We haven't done that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, Oh no, no wonder why we're not healthy because we're not 
we what I've noticed big time is that um you know we're functioning as a congregational denomination and not as a covenantal denomination and that's mm-hmm. been slowly happening for a long time and and uh we're going to have in order for us to be healthy and I think in order for us to just continue to move forward effectively we have to get back to our covenantal roots yeah. uh and yes we still believe that the authority lies in the local congregation I I'm 100% there and yet we still have made a covenant to work together as a classes and as a denomination, um, not just hold each other accountable. That's a big part of it, but also work together and support one another and do ministry together. And if we're going to be healthy as a denomination, we have to get back to those roots. Yeah. Yeah. By way of analogy, I remember the first house that I bought, I noticed there was a little dry rot by the front door. And so I was, ah, it's just a little bit, I, I can, I can fix this pretty easily. But then you peel it back a little bit and you realize it's no, actually it's a lot more than just this one. It's actually a lot of boards. And it's like, okay, well, it's, uh, this is too complicated for me. I better actually call someone who knows what they're doing to come in here and fix the dry rot. And, you know, as soon as you start peeling back, you start finding problems and problems. So, mm-hmm. so in this little house, you know, yeah, it was dry rot, but then I noticed, but then we found out that, oh, the siding, you know, it's a hundred year old siding. It's also falling apart it's basically uh sawdust oh and there's no insulation in your walls <laughs> so what turned out to be just a little little problem but i mean i could have ignored it i could have just like ah just put some you know some cock on it and I'll, they'll be fine but if but if i didn't actually start digging and realizing just how big a problem i wouldn't have solved a lot of the other problems that were completely hidden to me yeah so it's yeah it's gonna be messy I, I feel like I, I've heard that somewhere, but it's going to be right. messy. But uh, but if it's it's better, or rather, the mess of cleaning up is going to be less messy than just letting it get worse. Yeah, um, because yeah, the problem you can ignore it until you can't ignore it, and when it gets to the point where you can't ignore it anymore, it's uh, yeah, you just got to knock down the whole house and start yeah. over again. Well, the messiness is restoring everything to its foundations, right? That's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. We're not just demoing for demo's sake, but we're we're bringing things back to the foundation so that um, it's built on the rock and not on sand. Yeah. You know, we might be talking around a certain point here, but I just want to bring the conversation a little different spot. Uh, Seth, you mentioned your ordained CRC serving on loan in an RCA church. I'm kind of wondering what exactly brought you to the situation that you're in? I, I would say it's a, a unique position, but our church order very much allows for it. So what brought you to the position that you're in? Well, yeah. Uh, so the church order allows for it, but also the church order says should not be the first call, but that's right. Turns out should doesn't mean can't. So this is my <laughs> first call. I just kind of, eh, it'll be fine. Um, so Again, I, I talked about a little bit about that, the heart, like I have to have a job. That's that's the weed in my heart. And so wrapping up, I, you know, I got, yeah, I got a degree, but I don't have a job. I'm really scared. Um, so I'm not saying I just jumped at the first opportunity, but there was a mindset of, ah, I need to find a job that I was wrestling with. Um, but thankfully, at this time, I had to develop some of those spiritual tools necessary to deal with that stress. Um, but at that time, um, you know, for anybody who graduated from a college, you usually get like, hey, here's some job opportunities out there. And seminaries are no different. So there, one of the emails was like, here's a 
a Reformed church in Chandler, Minnesota. And my first inclination was, ah, you know, I want to stay in the CRC. But then that, you know, I'm like, ah, scared. I need to get a job. Uh, it doesn't matter where it's at. So I was kind of wrestling with there. So in a very roundabout way, God was even using my anxieties to kind of get me to uh, down the, nudge me down the path that I should be going. But mm-hmm. so what kind of got me here is that it's a small church in a small town in the middle of the country. Uh, and I actually do have some family not far from here, um, down in Sioux Center in Orange City, so just a little over an hour away. So I'm not completely isolated. Um, but I knew that, you know, seminaries aren't really created, at least Calvin, in many ways, Western even, from what I understand. They're producing graduates who are who have a heart for rural ministry or even a desire and often just a fear of it even. Um, I can't. Like during my time at Calvin, even though the majority of our churches are, you know, rural context, almost I never heard about it once. Um, another classmate of mine said, oh, yeah, I heard, you know, there was one professor that talked about it, but it was always kind of in the, ooh, scary. They're they're very fundamentalist out there, you know. Uh, watch out for those country churches. And so I, I knew that, oh, man, they're going to have a hard time finding a pastor. In fact, they were, they were. It was, I think, three years of just being vacant, not having anyone, even any, really any leads. So I had a conversation with my wife. I, again, we graduated from Dort, which is just about an hour away from here. we familiar with the area, even though uh, not specifically with this town, but like, yeah, this is a place where we can, where we can survive, where we can thrive. We can do this. God has equipped us to handle a rural church. So, yeah. Long story short, you know, it's like, yeah, we can handle it. Let's go talk with them. Had a conversation. They invited us in. Um, went through a whole call process. We had a little extra layer of um, difficulty because of that denominational differences but you know thankfully our church order has a path forward through that so got out here in october of 2019 and three months later we're shutting down for covid so uh, that's a great way to not only start at a new church but start your first church of trying to get to know an area with hey pandemic everybody quarantine but i don't even know anybody yet Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it seems like a, a lifetime ago, but yeah, it's yeah, over four years. Yeah, there's something to that whole moment of of COVID that that either uh, well destroyed people and congregations. Right, there was a lot of people that suffered and struggled through that. Um, but I've talked to other people. <clears throat> I had a different experience with that. I mean, it was hard in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I noticed, so our church didn't. Um, have all of the fighting um, over masks and stuff. We we just kind of navigated our way through mm-hmm. it and we didn't have a lot of fighting and bitterness in it. And actually one of the things that I told somebody is I came out on the other side um, where I felt like, so I, I came into my church the end of 2018. So I had about a year there before all of the COVID shut down. So that's still pretty early, right? I, I had told our church for the first year, we're not going to make any changes. I'm just going to be here and pay attention learn the people, learn the church, learn the community before we start talking about how to 
how to minister effectively. And then about the time we were going to start talking about that, COVID hit, right? And so that kind of got everybody stuck in the mud. But one of the things I noticed was I came out of the other side of that where I felt like my, my congregation trusted me. They said, hey, this guy led us through something really difficult. And now we trust him. Mm-hmm. In a different way. And it's, uh, I don't know how many people, I'm sure I've, a lot of people were reading this book during COVID. Um, I had read it a, a number of years ago. We had to read it for seminary it was uh, Canoeing the Mountains by Todd Bolsinger. And uh, I don't always appreciate him in a lot of ways, but, but one of the things he said in there is you have to, your people have to trust you, like leading them on the map, doing the normal things before they're ever going to trust you to lead them kind of off the map and, and doing things differently. And so being able to lead through COVID was an opportunity for my church to actually, even though COVID was a lot of off the map kind of stuff, it was still preaching, teaching, pastoral care Mm -hmm. on the map kind of stuff. And they were like, Hey, this guy, we trust him now. And it's given me an ability to kind of speak into my congregation in a different way. Yeah. Uh, With my Navy background, I, I saw a lot of good leadership and a lot of bad leadership. And so I try to learn the lessons like, okay, well, who were the good? Well, the good leaders were the ones I trusted. They were the ones that were there in the mess with everyone else. I mean, they had, they maintained their, their position. It's not like they were doing my job for me, but they were struggling alongside me. And I kind of knew when this, you know, when COVID happened, like I haven't been here long enough to earn trust. So I need to I need to start earning a whole lot of trust right away. And the best way to do that is to listen and have conversations and to put your put your principles into practice. So yeah, I hear a lot of like, oh, from churches about, you know, we've lost like a third of our members. We have so many people who haven't come back. I'm thankful that in Chandler, we had we never really I can't really say we lost anybody from COVID because as a as a consistory, the elders and deacons, we were all talking and coming up with a plan for what is best with Chandler. Uh, kind of a little microcosm of that. We we decided to be open, but we were going to social distance. And so there were some like, oh, we shouldn't be open at all. And others were like, we shouldn't be social distancing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you find that not necessarily that you're finding the middle path, but you're finding a good balance of, you know, being healthy, being open. And so, uh we didn't enforce any mask mandates, but uh, there were plenty of people who showed up with masks, plenty of people who didn't. Uh, we were able to, you talked about, you know, being forgiving to people who had different understandings or a different uh, risk tolerance. But I remember when we decided to go to that social, you know, we're going to spread out. We're going to have like empty pew, rows of pews in between. And, uh, you know, getting somebody to sit in a different spot in church can be <laughs> can be a minor miracle. But, you know, the deacons were out there. And even though they got a little grief, like we said, hey, deacons, the elders have your back. If anybody's giving you too much problem, come talk with the elders or the pastor and we'll help you with that. But the deacon's like, nope, we got this. And I would say about two weeks after we put in that social distancing, uh, people made new habits so that a year later, we're like, hey, you don't have to social distance anymore. You can sit wherever. It's like, no, we we got a new spot. We got a new habit. (laughs) And there were still those spaces in between. So, (laughs) but that's, uh, like you said, you got to, you know, trust to lead on the map before people will learn how to you know, trust you off the map. And one way to earn that trust is to actually listen to what people are worried about. And 
I'm thankful that we opened up our church when we did, because when, because, you know, when the, all that, uh, the government said, Hey, we got a social distance, we got a quarantine. All of that was put into place before COVID actually got to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was stressful and you're getting burned out, stressed out with a quarantine and the sickness isn't even by you. So when we opened up again, we were able to work through a lot of that stress and rebuild, uh, the, our community, uh, those the ties of the community and strengthen those up again so that when people started to get sick and we went back to our quarantine habits or policies, uh, people weren't, they had the strength and the endurance to actually make it through it this time. Yeah. And so I think that's one reason why we didn't, you know, didn't have people decide that eh, I can just watch on, on YouTube. It's not a big deal. I just, uh, that the desire to be a body actually got strengthened. Through COVID. Yeah. I'd also be curious. Uh, so you said you, you took this call um, in 2019. And so what, how, how, what does that look like for your involvement with the RCA? Have you been involved in the RCA and been able to kind of see, cause they've been going through some stuff too for the last four years. And so are yep. you able to kind of see what the RCA has been going through? Yeah, definitely kind of getting a, seeing it from the inside, if you will. I was, I would, in some ways, I was kind of naive when I came out here in 2019. I mean, in the CRC, going to Calvin, I'm not really up on the the gospel what's happening in the RCA. Uh, but one one of the senior pastors at my ordination exam was like, "Hey, uh, so what do you think about this Vision 2020 the RCA is doing?" And I was like, "Vision what?" Like, I, and I said, "You know, I'm going to reform church. I plan to leave a reform church." Um, when when I was back, I think I was about 14 years old. This back in the early 90s, uh, or the church I was part of had a big split, and that you know that was really rough on my grandfather. He was an elder at the time, so I was like, I don't, I don't want anything to deal with church controversies and splits or you know anything like that. So I'm just gonna gonna go there and we're gonna stay put. Um, but I didn't, I had no idea what was going on, and so. When I got here, one of the first things I wanted to do was like, okay, what is this vision 2020? We're going to have a talk about it. And then, and then because I wanted to be a good leader, I wanted to get the elders and deacons, you know, up to speed on what's happening so that we could be leading instead of reacting. Well, like two weeks after I was installed here, I get a letter from one of the churches in our classes talking about how uh, they're going to, they're going to go. They request to go join a different classes because they're, you know, they list a bunch of frustrations with the RCA and what the Minnesota classes was doing. And I realized, oh, I wanted to be ahead of the game. I wanted to be leading and not reacting, but it's already too late. I got it. I'm, I'm going to be reacting. So uh, anyway, Vision 2020 was supposed to come up with some game plan of how the RCA was supposed to go forward. And I just remember kind of bringing these updates to the congregation. And one of the things, so when Vision 2020 finally like wrapped itself up, their recommendation was to create another committee to come up with like the detailed plan of what was supposed to happen. And I I was sitting or standing in front of the congregation. I was like, oh, yeah, and Vision 2020 is done. Here's the recommendation. And the recommendation is to form another task force. And I just see it's like hope just kind of died. Mm-hmm. And I was like, not again. Uh, you're just like eyes rolling. It's just like, uh, it's like, Ooh, that was painful as a pastor to see your church just kind of 
spiritually react that way. I could see it happening. Um, so like I was saying, being a good leader, you got to listen. And a lot of what I've experienced here in Chandler is that the RCA leadership hasn't been, really been listening to a lot of these, the local churches, especially in the rural areas. Uh, even so, as as a pastor, as a, and I said to my elders, look, I'm I'm ordained in the CRC. From my point of view, it would look really odd for me to come to come, be an outsider coming here and then leading you out of the RCA. So I'm not going to do that. But I'm here to provide pastoral leadership. I'm going to give you my advice. I'm going to research and tell you what I've learned. But you have to make the decision for yourselves because. Let's face it, pastors come and pastors go, but you're the ones who are going to have to live with the long-term consequences of this. And so we talked about getting the, you know, doing church, the, you know, using the tools. And so our elders actually started doing house visits again for the first time in like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And to, to uh, every everyone who did it, every single person was like, wow, that was amazing. I was really stressed and worried at first, but it was such a blessing to go and actually sit and talk with people, even though there was this like big, Hey, are we going to stay? Or are we going to go question hanging in the air? Um, but we wrestled with our, with our process for a couple years, couple years. But I think the final kind of the final straw is um, uh, earlier this summer, there was a kind of a virtual conference talking about how the RCA was going to restructure and, you know, um, so the chair of the RCA, Eddie Aylman, was there. He's like, look, I don't want to talk about controversies. I just want to talk about the plan that we're coming up with for the future. And, you know, I could understand that. You want to, fo- you want to focus on the task at hand. Um, at the same time, the reason why you're restructuring is because of all these controversies and mm-hmm. the worries people are having. And so, you know, they presented their, like, hey, this is just the, like, re- the first revision for our plan, we're going to have another revision next year based upon feedback. But a lot of the questions being asked were very circumspectly kind of talking about all these churches that are leaving. And finally, he was forced to kind of address it at the end. And and it kind of hurt. I, I would say no, no kind of, it did hurt on how he kind of addressed it. It was like almost very dismissive and flippant of the over 200 churches that had left at that time. Like, oh, it's just the white churches that are leaving. None of the other churches, you know, none of our ethnic churches are leaving. And, yeah, those are a lot of the – and they're leaving because of money and politics. It's fine, um, paraphrasing. But that was the kind of the attitude that we were hearing on our end. So just imagine it's like a Thursday night. Um, people are gathering into church to listen to, you know, the president of the RCA talk. And these are all lifetime members of the RCA. Many of them, were, you know, their grandparents founded the church back in, you know, 1911. Uh, I know one of the members, they were the actual first people to be married in the church before the pews were even installed. They get deep roots in the Reformed Church. And they're listening to what their denomination is saying. And like, but we know many of the churches that left. And that's not what why they left. Uh, and these aren't big, rich churches. There are small churches that are leaving and just really felt hurt by their and betrayed by their denomination. And so even though there was like, yeah, yeah, we probably should join with the 
the Alliance of Reformed Churches. That's the group that's been formed out of the RCA. Um, there wasn't, I would say, a big desire. Um, there was still a strong desire to stay in the Reformed Church because this is, this is our home. This is our denomination. But listening to that conversation, I think, was like the final emotional nail in the coffin, in, in you, if you will. Like, oh, no, actually, we should stick with the people who know us. Stick with the people who are listening to us. And so it's kind of surprising, but I tell people is that there's not a Reformed Church between us and the West Coast anymore. And wow. so if you're on the, if you're driving on the I-90, once you get to, you know, Southwest Minnesota, the Chandler Slayton area, uh, for those of you who know, uh, there's nothing West of us anymore. We are the Western edge of the denomination currently. And I was like, Oh, like, really? It's like, yeah, <laughs> they all left. Um, so who do you want to be in? Who do you want to be in communion with who that your covenant relationship uh, well, yeah, we actually want to stick with the churches where our children are going to, where we have family ties with. Uh, so they, as a Chandler Reformed Church, decided to join with the Alliance Reformed Churches. And because that's that's the community around us right now. It's not re- the RCA anymore. It's the ARC. And um, granted, with uh, you look at our demographic, there's not a lot of energy to do lot of that you know the a lot of the work of the church anymore so if we're gonna be partnering with churches it's gonna be a lot easier to partner with a church that's just 20 minutes away and 30 minutes away rather than churches that are three hours away so that was a, a big practical consideration for us as well as long as and also with the fact that we actually have we already have those relationships with the people at those churches we don't have to create new ones um moving yeah. forward yeah, and what I hear is, uh, you know, that it, it seems like a lot of those churches felt like the denomination, like, left them, right, rather mm-hmm. than them leaving the denomination. That, that It's almost, uh, you know, like the line that the Reformers said, like, we didn't break off from the church. The church broke off from us. They mm-hmm. kind of veered off. And so these, these rural churches are saying, man, the RCA just wandered way off over here and said, to heck with you, right? You're, you're not really that important to us anymore. Yep. And then you look at the numbers and you realize that, oh, you know, it's the majority of the RCA that's leaving the RCA. And I, I don't have any updated numbers, but at the beginning of this year, I want to say over a quarter of the churches had left. And those and those churches represent over half of the membership of the RCA. Yeah. And that's just staggering to see just how it's just imploded uh, over the past two years. And, and then who knows how what the final total is going to be in two or three years from here, but uh, yeah, sad to see it. Yeah. And, and it's, and this is what happens when, um, and I don't know the, the RCA so much, but, um, but the only way that a decision gets made in a, in reformed polity um, that doesn't represent the majority of the churches is when there's political maneuvering going on. Yep. And, uh, and political stuff, right? Cause you're trying to make power plays. You're trying to overrun and over and kind of do a roundabout the majority body. And so when that happens, right. And so that seems like that happened in the RCA. So then the majority of the churches are like, okay, we're out because you're making decisions that are not in line. And then you lose your whole denomination that way. Right. 
Yeah, rule, rules are important. Uh, the BCO, I, I, I love the fact that we have guidelines, uh, but it's also important to remember that those rules are there so that we can do things you know, well and in good order. For following the rules, that's one way we build trust. Mm-hmm. But when we use the rules to get our way, well, now we're playing we're playing po- political games. We're training the game, the system, and that's the surest way to burn up trust and good faith. And and unfortunately, I've seen that front and center in the uh, in the Reformed Church over the past four or five years. Um, and yeah, I don't want to see that in the CRC as well. You know, yes, follow the rules, but those rules are there to build trust with one another. And yeah, I don't want to <laughs> point point out any specific classes, but I'm sure we all know who who we're talking about. But when one classes decides to, yeah, you know, there's some wiggle room here, and we're going to try to, you know, there there might be an inch that we can and take a mile out of it. But that's that's how you you break trust and there's only one way to recover from that. And that's applying the rules and discipline. And no, we got to, we got to do this together. We got to be talking with one another and not, and not just saying we're going to have a conversation, but actually have a conversation where you actually are listening to people and not just being dismissive right off, right out of hand. So I am, I'm hopeful for the church. Um, because my hope isn't founded on anything that we do, but it's on what Jesus has already done for us. Mm-hmm. Um, doing catechism with my daughter, we're working through the Belgic Confession right now, just did the doctrine of uh, election. It's like, oh, why does God choose us? We're totally sinful. Well, because of God's goodness and the goodness of what Jesus has done, that is something that you can depend upon. Amen. Uh, not as love the BCO. But it's not where my hope is at. You know, I love the people of the church, but I don't put my hope in them. Love them, do what's best for them, but uh, hope is founded on Jesus. And the more we keep our eyes on him, you know, a lot of the the political stuff, I don't want to say that it goes away. But when you put it in its proper context, that's how you turn the mountain back down into the molehill that it is. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, I, uh, my advent series I'm going through right now is the life of Judah and, uh, and, uh, yeah. And that's about the response I got from my church. When I said that they're like, why are we looking at Judah? Like that guy's terrible. And I'm like, and it's from the line of Judah that, that Jesus came. Right. And so what does that, what does that teach us about advent and longing and, mm-hmm. and whatnot? It's been a really good series. And, uh, this last, this last week, we kind of did a big overview picture of Judah's role in Joseph's life, right? Where Judah's the one at the beginning making the the pitch to like sell him into slavery. Like, at least we're going to make some money off of this deal. If we kill him, we get nothing out of this, right? And you're like, oh, Judah, like this guy's terrible. But then by the end of the story, like 20 something years later, Judah's stepping in and saying, no, put me in slavery over my brother, Benjamin. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one of the commentators I read, I forget which one it was, it was Bruce Waltke or Gordon Wenham. Um, one of those two anyways said, you know, that that story of Judah's transformation throughout this is, is showing God keeping covenant with his people by transforming them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God transforming the wicked patriarchs, right? The, the patriarchs of, of the church sold their, like, we're going to murder their brother and sold him into slavery, right? This is not a good beginning. And yet 
over difficulty and trial, God shaped and molded and transformed them to be able to be the patriarchs who aren't yep. perfect, but but whom God has said, you are my covenant people. And I'm going to keep covenant with you by by working on you and transforming you. And it's a, it's a powerful reminder for all of us that, you know, the, the passage I point to all the time is first Corinthians one, 26 through 30, where Paul says, um, did God choose you because you were smart? This is my translation. No. Did God choose you because you were powerful? No. Did God choose you because you had political power and authority? No. God chose you because you were stupid, weak, worthless, and, and kind of wicked. Um, and he, Keep covenant so that he would get the glory by transforming you and and working through you and bringing about something something great. So like, get off your high horse, trust, put your hope in God, and and follow Him. And uh, it's just a it's a really powerful reminder for all of us in the midst of life, ministry, and in the midst of this messy reformation that we're seeing that our hope is in the God who keeps covenant with us, yep. and and does it through transforming us. Yeah, and of course, you talk about life of Judah, you got to talk about, you know, the, one of the final words that Joseph said to his brother, you know, what you intended for harm, God used for good, the saving of many souls. So there's, again, the hope isn't on what we're doing, it's what God is doing through us. Amen. And thankfully, you know, I think I also have hope that God is doing a work in the CRC right now in a different work that seems like than what's hap- what God is doing. God is also doing a work in the RCA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he's doing a different work in the CRC where it seems like the RCA, the work is that they're, they look like they're coming to an end unless God does something drastic there. Whereas the CRC, I feel like God's doing a work uh, of reformation here. I, I hope, I pray that God's doing a work of reformation here. And so I'm hopeful that God's doing something in and through his, his people here that, that will, and he'll receive glory through either one. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but I'm hopeful to see that um, in the CRC. Do you, do you kind of get that feeling too? kind of having a foot in both camps, one in the RCN, one in the CRC that, that God's doing something different here in the CRC? Well, so yes and no. Uh, on one hand, there's only one gospel. There's only one work. And so I see as much as I disagree with a lot of what the RCA is doing, I still see the spirit at work in our brothers and sisters that have stayed in the reformed church. And so I pray for them. And I'm, and when I hear good news coming from the RCA, I'm, I'm happy. I'm joyful. I'm thankful. Uh, At the same time, uh, there's this new thing, the, the alliance. And so I, I pray for them as well. And I see the spirit at work there. And I look to my own home church in the CRC, you know, three different denominations that I'm kind of currently part of. And you can say that, oh, these are three very different, but also very similar. But it's the still the same spirit, the same Lord at work. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I don't want to fall down into the old the old habits of, well, this is CRC, that's RCA, that's the Presbyterians, that's the Lutherans really open up our eyes to see that God is at work, not just in our own denomination, but in all denominations and all people. God is even using, <laughs> one of the lessons of the Bible is God uses all people, even the ones who aren't part of his, his, of his called nation. He's God of all nations. Uh, think about the story of Esther. God used a pagan king to save his people because uh, he's sovereign over all. God is still the God of 
of the pagans, even though they don't acknowledge him. Uh, God is still God of Canada and the United States and the entire world. So I see the same work, you know, from a theological perspective, it's still the same work. But I also see that the spirit, like the wind, blows all over the place. Sometimes it's blowing from the west, sometimes it blows from the south, sometimes it's a hot, dry wind, sometimes it's cold and wet. Um, and you have to be attentive to where the spirit's blowing, how's it blowing, and make the wise decisions based upon the your surroundings. Again, the, the brilliance of the Presbyterian model is that we don't have some central authority making a decision that everybody has to follow. No, local churches can adapt based upon how the spirit is leading them in their local context. Uh, I like to use weather as an example. You know, in the wintertime, you're going to put on your winter coat. Uh, and so, especially when you're in Minnesota and it's, you know, zero degrees outside with a negative 30 wind chill, you better put on a winter coat. That's smart. But when it's July and it's 90 degrees outside and humidity is through the roof, you had better take that winter coat off. You know, the winter coat in and of itself isn't, good or bad it's the context in which you're wearing it and so yeah it's kind of hard to it's sad to see the how the rsa has been dissolving but at the same time people are still using it i i see as an opportunity to recommit to the gospel getting back to what our what our mission is um, spreading the word planning churches creating creating the the, the connections through which the spirit works, seeing the kingdom of God come today. And, and I, hopefully that also kind of starts breaking down a lot of the denominational walls where we're be more flexible, meet, be more willing to work with our neighbors. Uh, again, from my background, I grew up in a town where you're Catholic or Lutheran and you've, you got to learn how to get over a lot of those theoretical, theological barriers that separate us and realize that it's still the same Jesus that we worship on Sunday. And it doesn't matter what name is on the door of your church. What matters is the name that's on your heart. And that's what I want to see with the Reformation, the CRC, not, not trying to just stay, Oh, you know, it's, it's where my grandparents went and I want to still stay in the same church that they helped build Oh, or, you know, who's going to have the influence, who's going to have the power, who's going to make the decisions. But no, it's let's commit to being faithful Christians. Let's have the name of Jesus, not just on our hearts, but also on our lips as well. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to The Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week to hear reflections from Willie and I about current affairs in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.